welcome to the Clairon Podcast. In this series, The Narc Behind the Educator, I and fellow narcissism educators discuss and share our own personal journeys with the narcissist and narcissistic abuse in our own lives. Hi, Richard. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you very much for having me on. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. I'm a massive fan. I've been following your content for a while. Thank you. I appreciate it. So today we're going to talk about your own narcissistic relationship. Ask anything you like. Okay. How did you guys meet? I saw her when I was out with a friend in a city and I approached her, started talking to her and found out a little bit about her. I think I got her Instagram as one does in the modern yeah. age. Yeah. And then that, that was it. That was how things began. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of creepy nowadays to ask for a phone number for a stranger. We always ask for the social media first. Oh, it's, no, it's a dreadful, dreadful infraction of personal boundaries to ask for a phone number. <laughs> and much worse to even call them on a phone. It's absolutely barbaric. Yeah. <laughs> so what was going on for you when you met? What kind of state were you in? Well, I thought that I was in a fairly good state. I just returned from Spain from trying to live in Spain, where I had a lot of, I had, uh, on that particular occasion of, of living in Spain, I had a lot of problems there, so I had to come back. I did have family around me, I did have friends around me, but my life was not stable at that point. Okay, because I find that often when we get into a relationship with a narcissist, we're in a vulnerable state. Yes, yes, I think I think I was. I would say that I mm. was, for sure. Yeah, although you chased her down. She didn't I come did. after you initially. Uh, no, I, so I came after her and, um, she, she was surprised. She was like, oh, she, she, you're interested in me. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm interested in you. Hi. And, uh, then I think within a week that dynamic had, had, had shifted. She, well, within not a week, within like two or three days, she decided that she was going to sink her claws into me as much as she possibly could. <laughs> Tell, tell me about that. Was it very intense? Um, the relationship was intense. It was uh, very, uh, very sexual, very, very quickly. And she was staying with me pretty much from day two or day three. Like we went on a couple of dates. We went on one date. Okay. We went on one date. And then she went to go and see a friend and she returned to the city. And she was texting me at three o'clock in the morning saying, I want to see you. And I was like, okay. no, it's three o'clock in the morning. Go away. And I said, well, the thing is, I'm actually outside your apartment. Oh. I, I laughed because I, I, I thought she was joking. So I, I, she was like, and after five minutes of back and forth joking, she was like, if you don't come down and let me in, I'm going to leave. I was like, are you really here at three in the morning? So, so I let her in. Um, and then, yeah, we were together. Uh, 24-7 then after that. It was very, very rapid. that feel natural to you? Um, well, what's natural to me is kind of odd because of okay. my, 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 my set point for normal is, is, uh, is a little off due to childhood experiences. Mm. So I guess what I'm asking is, did you have any like gut feeling that something was wrong or did it feel fine? Uh, it felt fun, not fine. It felt fun, um, but the the that things were wrong 
uh, popped up in the first week. I didn't get like a three month honeymoon period often people report um, mm. uh, within four days. Like there was things that were popping up that were really, really strange. Okay. Tell me about those. What kind of things were popping up? Um, well, there was a, there was a psychotic episode. Um, she, we were watching TV and she'd had maybe a glass and a half of wine. And she made some comment about something that we were watching. And I made a comment jokingly. Um, and she really got very, very upset. And she stood up from the couch and she was standing over me uh, screaming. And it was really strange because I couldn't bring her down from that state for about 20 minutes. But during that oh, wow. 20 minute period, it was, it was obvious that she'd entered an argument the coordinates of which I didn't, I didn't know. And I think she was, she was arguing with either her ex-boyfriend or her father or, or a combination of both. Yeah. Okay. I definitely know what that's like. And the narcissist starts having an argument with themselves. Yeah. yeah. But was you, that you just, you just happen to be there. Yeah. Uh, well, she's, a, she's a small, she's a small girl. So I can't say that like it was, it was, wasn't physically threatening, but mm. emotionally it was, it was disturbing. Um, I'm sorry for laughing at one point. She, she took her clothes off and she was naked and yelling at me. Uh, she really just had a glass and a half of wine. So it was just enough wine to dissipate, but she wasn't drunk, drunk. And then she was, she was shouting and yelling at me in such a fury while she was naked that at one point she tripped over backwards and there was a small uh, wicker basket in the corner of the room that I would use for, for like dirty clothes. And yeah. she fell into it. She ended up <laughs> sitting inside in this basket whilst, whilst yelling at me, uh, which, which made me laugh, which made things worse. <laughs> she didn't say the humor in that? Uh, no, no, yeah. she did not. She did not. Yeah. So how did things repair was, from that point? Sorry. Go on. Uh, well, what I was going to say actually answers your question anyway. Um, mm -hmm. we, we, we started spending more time with each other. Um, she was fairly verbally abusive behind a lot of, um, sort of vulgar humor and dark humor. So I, I which I quite like, mm -hmm. I quite like dark humor. I like vulgar humor, but then behind yeah. it, there was, there was quite a lot of verbal abuse, um, and aggression. And yeah. uh, we met uh, a friend of hers uh, who has known her for, for years. And uh, he passed a comment to her that I heard the tail end of, which was, mm -hmm. um, oh, wow, you're so much nicer to him than you were to the guy she was with before, his name, uh, the, guy, the guy she was Bob, let's call him. You're so much nicer mm -hmm. to him than to Bob. And I pulled her up on this and I was like, the hell were you doing to Bob? And she was like, oh no, I was really, really nasty to him. I was really verbally abusive to him. So she, yeah. she knew she, that she was, she was verbally abusive. She mm. knew that she was like that. Yeah. But was this cake in between like big love bombing things or was it? I have to be honest with you. I, in, mm -hmm. so I, of, be honest. Of, of 13, of 13 girls, of 13 ladies, we say girl in the North of England, even if you're talking about an adult. Oh, okay. Um, so, so here, uh, you wouldn't say man 
or or guy, you would say lad, and uh, okay. woman is a girl. So of of these thirteen women, um, three of them, uh, um, I would say, were were somewhere on the spectrum for personality disorder, but only one of them truly had MPD. Um, and that sort of level of of um, when when people talk about love bombing, uh, maybe it's a different experience for men than it is for women. Uh, yeah. I got there was sex, there was sex bombing, there was a lot of yeah. sex, but and I was I was idealized, like she she mm. did idealize me, um, but it was not. So my female clients report like these big j- romantic gestures and being treated yeah. very well and being treated very lovingly. She did mm-hmm. none of the three girls that I was involved with, women, uh, were bothered with that. There was no no such period, no such period. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, some of my male clients definitely say there was love bombing and that they were particularly roped into being the hero or the savior to the victim stories. Yes, yeah, so all three had a victim story, and I was roped into being the savior. And the implication was, if you leave me, I'll crumble, or if you leave me, I will uh, unalive myself. Um, but yeah, the, the the love bombing, I didn't see much of. Um, love leveraging, for sure, for sure. Tell me about that. Uh, I think love bombing is a term from cult psychology, mm-hmm. and. Um, a lot of the well, trauma bonding is a term from cult psychology. I've just done a course on on narcissistic cults that'll be out the end of this month. Blog, um, and and it does map. So you could say like cults are narcissism in a group, uh, whereas a narcissistic relationship is like a cult of one. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm not sure everything trans translates. Um, so love bombing, I do think is a factor, but I think love leveraging is more important when it's a one-on-one situation. So the narcissist has to find what the target values, and yeah. then they have to promise that as bait. So they leverage yeah. what you love. They leverage, or they leverage your your unfulfilled desire for the things that you love, your hungers. Okay. Can I ask what your unfulfilled desires were that she was leveraging? For love, love itself, romantic love. Love itself. itself. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it is really common that female narcissists use sex a lot, a lot more than male narcissists, isn't it? As, as far as I know, because my female clients yeah. then will say, um, towards the end of the relationship, like I, I did a poll on this, and 80% of, of, mm-hmm. of uh, female heterosexual clients would say, towards the end of the relationship, he withdrew sex as a form of punishment. I, was, mm. I never had sex withdrawn. If anything, if the relationship looked like it was moving towards a termination, the mm-hmm. sexual contact would increase, not decrease. But then, yeah. I don't know, I'm one person, and so I'm not good as a sample size. And mm-hmm. I think the goal, the, the, the women, the, the girls that I was attracted to were histrionic. And when they when they become anxious, they use sex to self-soothe. So me leaving, yeah, okay. they could sense my desire to leave, they become anxious, and then they would use sex to soothe their own anxieties. Okay. So you think it was more to soothe their own anxiety rather than to try and just get you to stay? It's both. I mean, if you say, I'm leaving, and mm. then... Um, you have sex with a person, 
then they are in a position where they can say, oh, did you just use me for sex? Are you yeah. really just going to have sex with me and then leave me? How yeah. could you do that? Plus, yeah. plus sex is a very, is a very boundary dissolving act. And, um, it, by dissolving boundaries, it dissolves, uh, it dissolves resolve. So if you've resolved the, to leave a person and then you engage in this binding activity with them, have an orgasm with them, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a mixed message to send to your own system. Yeah. I definitely see how a female narcissist could use that against you because then it would be hard to leave. I know a male narcissist would definitely have sex with you, orgasm, and then get up and leave anyway. Right, right. Yeah. So, so <laughs> that's, that's the psychopathic side of them. They're just not, not particularly bothered. Not, there's not a particular yeah. connection there. Um, when I first went into in my first relationship where she was on the spectrum for narcissism, but really she was probably more of a borderline, um, I went to therapy for sex addiction because I reasoned, as clients often misdiagnose themselves, mm-hmm. I keep getting back into a, an abusive relationship because I crave the sex that sounds. I'm having with, with this girl and mm-hmm. woman. And um, they, the therapist, my, my female therapist at that time, just laughed at me. She said, there's no sex addiction here. You're being narcissistically abused. That wow. was way back in 2009. And I yeah. didn't believe in narcissism. My, my, my background really? in psychology didn't know it. We, we, we didn't talk. We thought personality disorders were just bunkum from made up from somewhere between psychiatry and psychoanalytic theory. Uh-huh. I was very an- anti-Freud for most of my life. So I didn't engage in psychoanalytic theory. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting that she picked it back then because I find a lot of therapists even today don't know anything about personality disorders or narcissism. She was brilliant and she was a coach, uh, sorry, she was a trainer for, uh, other therapists in, in the place where I'm from in the world, Liverpool and Merseyside. So mm-hmm. she, she was, she was a cognitive behavioral therapist. You trained other therapists to use cognitive behavioral therapy. And she herself was just very, very good. She was very intuitive and, and therefore the therapy was fast because mm-hmm. she could tell if I was lying, masking, defending, mm-hmm. denying, she would see it. She's very good. Yeah. Okay, cool. So how long did it take for you to, um, I guess, realize that you're in trouble in this relationship? It felt quite normal early on because of childhood experiences you mentioned. Was there a point where you were like, Uh, okay, this is too much? Yes, there was. Um, So I, I became physically and mentally sick. I couldn't sleep. Um, I started to gain a lot of weight very, very quickly. I was becoming extremely emotionally dysregulated. And uh, I didn't, at that point, go back to therapy because I was deep into this cult with her. And I saw going to therapy as a, as a form of betrayal. Um, however, uh, later on down you- the line, gone. But in what way did you see it as a betrayal? I'm curious about that. Um, well, once you're um, indoctrinated into a cult mindset, there's in groups and outgroups. Outgroups. Yeah. So talking talking to outsiders is a is a crime. And also, mm-hmm. I shared I shared the shame of her abuse, and I felt the shame for her abuse that she couldn't feel and didn't feel. 
So in, in the end, uh, we, we, we shifted countries. We, we, we moved countries together about three times because I kept saying oh, to her, wow. what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And she would be like, oh, it's, it's, it's because we live here. So there's three countries in Europe. Uh, we went from north, north to south. Uh, she's like, I hate this country. If, if we leave, everything will be okay. So we switched country at my expense and everything wasn't okay. And then um, we, we moved country again at my expense and everything still wasn't okay. So we, 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 shifted, we shifted countries. And then I think the third time that we shifted uh, country, um, she was getting, she, I, I was becoming more um, rebellious okay. because it, it was just hard and harder for me to deny that there was something wrong. And uh, in that rebellion, um, I'd actually started talking to a couple of ex-girlfriends of mine and I, I was okay. reaching out for, for help. And for some reason, one day, um, there was pictures on my phone that I'd taken. We'd been on a trip and she'd acted like a real prick. She was awful. She was verbally abusing me in front of other people. Wow. Um, on a, it was like a tour. It was a road trip around nature in a country in, in, in Europe. Well, we did, we did four countries together, not three. I can help. Uh, so in the fourth and final country, we did this road trip around nature and she was just openly verbally abusing me in front of strangers. Mm. How far in was this? Uh, Oh, we were, we were towards the end. Okay. We, were, we were in year, it was three, three years, three years and a half. Mm -hmm. And at that point, stuff had happened. I just, I just couldn't deny from myself. And so I took pictures of her that day on my phone. And I knew that there were texts on my phone from, from other girls that I was chatting to saying like, I'm stuck in this thing. This is what's being said. This is what's happening. Is this normal? What do you think of this? And I handed her the phone. And I went to, to look at the pictures and went to the shops. But I knew perfectly well she was going to go through my tests. Okay. Uh, I, I'm, not I'm not sure why I made that decision. She went berserk. And then she sent me to therapy. She said, you're mentally sick. Go to therapy. Wow. But the therapist that she sent me to, I told him everything. From her point of view, I was like, I'm mentally sick. Um, I know I'm mentally sick because my girlfriend tells me I'm mentally sick. And uh, he was a very, a very nice chap uh, from Dublin. And, and he laughed. He laughed. He said, so it's the problem you. And I was like, yes, me, I'm sick. Let's, let's have a chat about that. <laughs> so, so, so she sent me to, she was like, you have to go. Are you going to go? I went, yes, I'll go. Yeah. And did you tell him everything? I told him everything. Did you tell him the truth? I was like, I did tell him the truth. Will you go every week? I was like, yeah, I'll go every week. And I think six weeks later, I'd, I'd split up with her because, because of him, because of the help he gave me. And you think she was so delusional that she just really thought there was nothing wrong with what she was doing and that you were the problem and that the therapist would see that you were the problem? Oh, 100%. 100%. And, and yeah. the therapist, I, I kept on... The, the, the therapist, to be honest with you, the therapist was maybe too much in my corner. Maybe. Um, he heard the story. He heard the story and, and he just really didn't like the story. And he really wanted to get me out. So there was no, I could, I couldn't even do self criticism in the therapy session. Okay. Other, other than, other probably than, other than that. talking about, yeah, maybe, maybe he helped me a lot.
he helped me a lot. Very, very nice uh, chap. Um, we spent an awful lot of time laughing, um, yeah. and I got, I got, I got better. I started to get better again because there now was an external influence to this cult, yeah. and it was like this ray of light coming in. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, yeah, she kept pushing me to go. Not real, as you say, so delusional. She didn't realize that he was he was curing me from the sickness that she'd given me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she really believed. She she. I mean, to this day, mm-hmm. um, she believes and will tell anyone that will listen um, that I am a fundamentally evil human being. Like like yeah. not just, just a bit weird or no evil evil. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm pretty evil in my narcissist story as well. <laughs> um, did you have a good friendship group around you before you got involved with her? Uh, no, no. Okay. I, I, at that age, um, the friends that I had, I'd all become young fathers and they were okay. struggling to, you know, reacclimatize to that. Um, I did my, my relationship with my family wasn't as strong as it should have been. Um, and so no, the answer to your question is no, for, for various reasons. Okay. Like, no, it's, it's better, it's better now. Like guys, my age who are like 44 and 45, they used to be in dads and their kids have grown up and they're not, they're yeah. not panicking about it now. Yeah. So you really were vulnerable to outside influence at that point to her voice being the only voice. I was desperate for, for love. I mean, I lived yeah. a life of isolation that for some reason I thought yeah. was safe and okay. Uh, mm-hmm. I just was on my own all the time. And then when she came along and she's, she's a very, she's a beautiful girl. She's really, really attractive. Yeah. Um, and she was, you know, exactly, exactly my type, uh, mm-hmm. which is why I approached her, which is why, why I pursued her. Was, was for that reason. Uh, mm-hmm. And I felt very, very lucky. Even when she was being abusive for the first two months of the relationship, I was like, I can't believe this is really happening. She's so beautiful. She's so amazing. So because mm-hmm. beauty was such a, I was so lonely. Being in a relationship was such a high drive and beauty was such a high standard, such a mm-hmm. high value for me in relationships. I was blind to everything else. Mm-hmm. Not blind to it, but I really wasn't looking at it properly. Yeah. I think beauty blinds a lot of men anyway in relationships, particularly if they're already lonely. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So did you have those feelings that you'd met your soulmate, the love of your life, like any of those things that you hear? You didn't feel like that. You just thought she was so beautiful. (laughs) A lot of of my experiences, um, uh, the the, the girl I'm telling you about would ring the bells for full clinical NPD plus histrionic, plus borderline, plus psychopathy. She was very messy sick. The other two girls are on this spectrum and you can, Mm -hmm. you, you, it's possible to talk to them when they're in a certain cycle and have Mm -hmm. them really sincerely apologize and really acknowledge she couldn't, she was, she was stealing. She was a, she was just walled in. Um, so no, there was no, no, I never had this feeling like this is my soulmate. This is the love of my life. None of that. No, no, I don't think, I, to be honest though, I don't think in those terms. I never think in those terms. You say that she was more like a, a psychopath and she never kind of came out of her own little alternate reality. How did that show in the relationship, like the lack of empathy or, you know, the struggles? Like how did that kind of show up in the relationship? Um, 
she was never off. She never switched off. She never relaxed. From the moment she opened her crazy eyes in the morning, the first thing she did was stare at me. Then she would spend all day staring at me until she eventually gave up through exhaustion at night and went to sleep. I've never felt so scrutinized in my whole life. Even when we would watch movies together, she wouldn't turn and look at the fucking TV. She'd, be, like, she'd have one eye on me. And I was like, please, like, my love, please, just relax and focus on you and your own thoughts. Yeah, that's giving me the heebie-jeebies just thinking about it. It's very scary. So every, <laughs> she, was, she was so tuned into everything. I couldn't mm-hmm. stretch. I couldn't sigh. I couldn't scratch my eyebrow without it being assigned some meaning. And it would be like, what's the problem? What's uh-huh. up? What's wrong with you? Nothing's wrong with me. Well, why aren't you talking? Because I'm just having a moment of private reflection uh-huh. where I consider the easiest way to jump off this planet because you're driving me fucking mad. So I, I'd be literally just sat there doing nothing. That was a crime. If I moved, that was a crime. If I didn't move, that was a crime. If I spoke, you know, everything was, was, was a crime. Um, it's partly due to where she was raised and, and, and her experience. She was raised in another country that was, she never experienced communist dictatorship, but her parents did. And so I think she learned this like paranoid watchfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, looking for dissidents, looking for signs of betrayal. And my God, if I was driving and a, 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 a female, a girl, a woman was jogging past, I better not look. I better not look. I better not. I better, I better stare out the other window to make sure mm-hmm. that I didn't, I didn't see because she'd go berserk, like start screaming. Yeah. So I was constantly on hyper alert because she'd start screaming. Yeah. Uh, there was a, uh, I, I got on a plane to Portugal and I speak Portuguese. And one of the air hostesses said, hello. And I said, bom dia. And she went, oh, you speak Portuguese. I went, yeah, I used to. And then I took my seat. She didn't talk to me for three days, three fucking days, three days. I was like, this, it was just a nightmare. It was just, a, it was just a living hell. Were there a lot of silent treatment? Hmm. Not a silent treatment. A lot of silent treatment. If she wasn't screaming, if she would either be interrogating, mm-hmm. berating, or silenced. There was nothing else. There was you couldn't converse. You couldn't just have a normal dinner without um, it having this overtone and just like the person just looking at you like that, that. just gathering data. You felt like a machine just gathering yeah, data. Scanning, it was exhausting. Yeah, it was exhausting. But on, on, on the other side of it, I kind of feel like maybe she, she was very into romantic movies, usually the ones that feature Ryan Gosling. Um, and, uh, I think she thought that that's what love was. Yeah. That's because she would say stuff that she thought was romantic. And I was like, that's not romantic. It's creepy. She was like, I want to breathe the air out of your lungs. Oh, yeah. Like, that sounds gross, unhygienic. <laughs> <laughs> and like it could lead to my suffocation and death. That's not hot. Um, and, but that's, that's, that's what she was like. She wanted to, she wanted to be in, she didn't want to be with me. She wanted to be in me. She wanted to wear me like a skin. Yeah. It sounds like it. 
I mean, they don't have those feelings, love and care and these kind of positive feelings. And I find that a lot of them do watch those movies and they get the lines and the words and they repeat them because they're acting. Mm. Mm. Did you feel like that's what she was doing? I did. And, and some of the stuff... Or did she I mean, really to, just to want honest, to breathe your air? <laughs> she really wanted to breathe my hair. <laughs> yeah. In, in, in some ways, um, it, I could feel from her it was sincere. It's like she misunderstood really? what what care and love was. There's a Ryan Gosling movie where a guy builds a house for a woman when she's married to somebody else. The notebook. And it's like, I built this... Yeah, I built this house for you. Now, li- now live in it. And I remember what she was like. I love this film. It's amazing. And I, I watched it and I was like, speaking as a psychologist, I'm not sure that yeah, he's respecting so her boundaries. It's really weird. And exactly. then he's like, live in my house. What do you want? I built you a house. Well, she loved that. She was like, that's yeah. love. That's love. Yeah. I was like, I think if everybody lived that way, the world would fall apart. I don't see that as being loving. I see that as, as stalkerish, but she loved that. She thought that was Oh, amazing. the movie is incredibly emotionally abusive all the way through. It's terrible. Is it? I should, I, I should oh, go back and it's rewatch. Terrible. I should rewatch. You should. Yeah. You should, and you should do a breakdown of it because it's, it's horrific. In the beginning of the movie, he's asking her to go on a date and she's refusing. And refusing and refusing, mm. and then they get on this Ferris wheel. And he gets up mm. in front of her on the Ferris wheel and hangs down. And he's like, I'm going to jump if you don't agree to go out with me. <laughs> and she's like, no, I don't want to. And he's like, I'm going to jump. And she's like, okay, I'll go out with you. And it's like, oh, it's so romantic. It's like, guys, is it? Is this the standard we should be looking at? Isn't it weird when we put stuff in fantasy, everybody's like, wow, this is really hot. Yeah. Um, but if it was done in reality, people would get locked up for it. There was one, it was called, it was like this erotic film on Netflix that created a stir a couple of years ago. And the mm-hmm. girl I was seeing wanted me to watch it. And I was like, I hate watching uh, sex on, it, 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 like the noise when people go, and oh, the sound, when, act, yeah. when yeah. actors are pretending to make out, it makes me gag. So I was like, okay, I'll watch this. It was the, it's called 365 Days or something. But anyway, the story is there's a pretty Italian man who sees a pretty Polish girl, and he really likes her, and he's really rich. So he fucking kidnaps her and then, and then proceeds to have sex with all the women in front of her while she's tied up. How and, and this girl's like, this is... Richard. And she was like, this is so hot. This is so hot. It's so romantic. I'm like... I'm pretty sure these are crimes I'm watching. This is just a series of crimes by a psychopath. I was confused. I was like, this is not. But it's funny, like you put it on a movie, you put it in a book, Mm -hmm. and it's passion and it means the man really likes you. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, I don't I I don't want to be liked like that. I don't know why you want to be liked like that. That Mm -hmm. that's scary stuff. That's the stuff that Mm -hmm. leads the really in the real world would lead to kidnappings and, and, and violence. It's not, it's not good. This is, but you put it in a movie, Ryan Gosling's a good looking guy. You're like, Oh, I would love to have Ryan Gosling threaten to kill himself. If I don't go to Starbucks with him. Exactly. <laughs> and I think society doesn't help us, especially in terms of helping people to recognize narcissists, psychopaths and predators, because we have all of this behavior idealized, all of this love bombing, like pretty woman. Pretty oh Woman, the massive love bombing in Pretty Woman. That's, and then the massive power difference as well. It's so unhealthy. 
I was just thinking about Pretty Woman yesterday um, mm-hmm. because not this girl, but another girl told me that it was her favourite movie. And I was like, it's an, I, I don't want to sound like a preachy, progressive lefty because I'm really not that way inclined. But <laughs> now let me do that. That's an older man with loads of money and she's young and is broke. And it's, I'm like, is this, is this love? Like he grew, yeah. she's broke and has no education and no class. And he takes her as a thing. Yeah. And he's not like, okay, so you've never had an opportunity. I'm, I'm, you're 20. I'm 50 and I'm a millionaire. Yeah. I'm going to get you educated. I'm going to, you're going to go right. to university now and you're going to have your own business and you're going to have mm-hmm. your own education, your own money. And when you have that, if you want to come and hang out with a dude who's 30 years old or whatever, the, uh, 20 years older than you, that's yeah. your choice. But right now, she doesn't have a choice. That's not a choice. Exactly. Like, that's, that's survival. Like it's exactly, it's eating $2 cheeseburgers and giving blowjobs to truckers or yeah. going in the five star hotel. That's yeah. not a choice. Exactly. Sorry, um, like it's, it, to me, I'm just like, digressing, how do we normalize that? Yeah. Yeah. And he offers her $3,000 for the week and she's never seen this much money in her life. And it's just, yeah. The power. To, yeah. Everything you're saying. It's, exactly. it's, it's, it's weird. It, and it's weird though, that when you sit there in the cinema, I'm not one of those persons like enjoy your movies, like whatever, it's fine. Enjoy the movie. But you sit there in the cinema and you go, this, this is love. The, the message of the movie is he really loves her. Is that, is that what you would do if you really cared about somebody? And then, and then through what I just said, you wouldn't be able to escape the dynamic becoming a bit perverse because if he sends mm-hmm. it to university and helps set her up in a business and she becomes her own adult independent person, he's basically just turned into her father mm-hmm. and you can't like it, it's, it, yeah. Anyway. So I, I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird thing to, to have that a lot of these romantic stories, you, they're, they're like, Oh, this is so romantic. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm not sure that it is twilight mm-hmm. for, that's for young adults, like late teens and early twenties. That's a creepy story. The mm-hmm. hunger games, the power dynamic between the young girl who has to choose between the bad boy and the reliable. Life, that's a creepy dynamic. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, anyway, there's a lot yeah. of things I think we get wrong culturally that could lead people astray. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, I have clients that are like, oh, after one date, he sent me 500 roses the next day. It was so romantic. It's like, no, he went on one date. That's creepy. That's not romantic. That's creepy. I think we need a a little analysis uh, collectively as a a species on what that word romantic actually means and, and what its implications are and what is the hunger that we have for romance. And to be able to say something like, is it a similar hunger to, because it's always excess and it's, it's always, it's a symbolic gesture of excess. And to me, I would always posit the position that, well, that's in a lot of ways, that's essentially pornography. That's what pornography, it's excess and it's, it's for its own, it's for its own sake. No, no, no. Roses has nothing to do with pornography. I'm like, but. You don't understand the principle. It's a gesture mm-hmm. of excess, which mm-hmm. is not, 
emotionally. It's not coming from a position of emotional stability, boundaries, indivi- respecting your individual nature. It's just, it's just excess to me. All of that is it. And, it, and any form of excess now kind of gives me the creeps. I love that. I think dysfunction sells as well. People don't want to look at healthy, happy relationships. What's a, what's a, a true statement, but a miserable one? Dysfunction sells. Dysfunction yes, it does. sells. Yes, it does. Yeah. <laughs> so, back to your relationship. Did you guys ever break yes, up and yeah. get back together? Yes. Yes. Uh, oh, how many times? 25, 30 times. Okay. So, she was always very bossy, bullying, and persecutory until Richard uh, got his balls out of the fridge where she put them, strapped them back on and said, listen, I can't deal with this. I have to leave. And then she would become a desperate child and would literally beg on her knees on the floor uncontrollably, stutter, have Face would change color and shape. Her lips would go white. Um, and she's like, please, please, please. I'm so sorry. I know I'm doing all of this. I know I am and I can't stop. I'll go to therapy. I'll go to therapy. She saw a therapist zero times, whereas I saw three, like over yeah. 30 times, um, yeah. because there was nothing, there was nothing wrong with that. Uh, yeah, at least in three and a half years, I tried to leave. 25 or 30 times. I did Was it always you once. leaving? Oh, did she have threatened the leave? She would never. Oh, okay. So imagine this. You have three, <laughs> three, three, three years of me saying your behavior is disgusting and mm-hmm. I'm going to leave. And I'd even, I'd even gone so far as to recording her and her rages and I'd play it back and be like, does that sound like love to you? That's like, can you hear the sentences you're using? Can you hear the words you're calling me? And do you know why you did this? You did this because when I brought the dog, your dog, your dog back mm-hmm. in from an hour long walk in the rain for your dog's benefit, because you don't walk him, he was wet and mm-hmm. he left some water on the living room floor and you screamed for me, non at me. It would be, her screaming sessions go on for two hours. The longest one she ever did, mm-hmm. I swear by God, was six hours nonstop. I drove to yeah. different locations in Dublin um, while she screamed at me because I couldn't take her back to the apartment because there's other human beings there and it would have been humiliating. So I'd take her yeah. to different parks. I'd be like, okay, people are now noticing that this girl is having a shit fair. They're going to call the police. I drove to a different yeah. park. Wow. So six hours she was doing. So, so it's three years of, of me trying to leave and just not having the, the, the backbone to, to do it. Um, and then in the end, she, in the last three months, once she sent me to therapy, I, I can't see myself, but I think what was happening was I would come back from therapy <clears throat> and instead of getting upset or sad or angry when she berated me, I was totally calm mm-hmm. and totally accepting of what she was doing. And that sent her insane there were days where she would if i came the therapy then became the new argument what did you say in therapy i don't have to tell you that you sent me to therapy to resolve my issues i'm resolving it with my therapist no but i want to know what you talked about why 
go you like come to couples therapy then if you want to know what's being said i'm not telling you that i don't have to tell you that my therapist says i don't have to and so she goes fucking nuts and one day um after one of these sort of arguments and i said to her like you're screaming there's kids in the flat opposite you need to calm down i'm going to bed went to bed uh, at 12 fell asleep slept for three hours and was awoken at three o'clock in the morning by her in the dark standing over me screaming and her spit was hitting my face and she was screaming at me in a way that let me know that she'd been having an argument with me in her head in the living room yeah. and then at some point in the living room she's like i'm, I'm going to involve the real guy yeah. so she's screaming at me so i said okay i was i was asleep this was the this was my life like just constant constant attack and i said look go to the living room i'm going to come to you and we'll have a conversation and I'll remember this for the rest of my life. I don't wear formal shirts. For some reason, I got up at three o'clock in the morning to go and have this argument with this girl who'd lost her mind. And I remember putting on a shirt. I put on like a formal shirt and my hands shaking to do the buttons of the shirt. And so I went, I went in and I sat, I sat with her and uh, she said, I want kids and you have to give me kids. Okay. And I was like, I was like, okay, um, what, what, what's happening? She said, well, you know, um, I, at the time she was 31. She's like, I'm 31. I'm going to, this is the healthiest time I've got. I want two kids and you have to marry me. And if you don't act like a fucking man and marry me within the next six months, I will leave you. And I was like, what? why wait six months? The answer is no, you can leave me now. Because I never had a problem with her leaving me. So she was, she tried threatening me in the, in the final place. I'm going to leave you. And I'd be like, there's the door. I've been desperate to get out of this situation for years. And the only reason I didn't is because I think, and your parents think, and have told me that you're a high suicide risk. So the only reason I'm still here is because I'm terrified. She'd like looked up uh, information on, and she was a scientist. So without giving any details at all um oh. she had found a way that there is of that i wasn't aware of where you can very effectively commit suicide no one can resuscitate you nobody brings you back and it's painless and it's you can find the equipment to do this online and her parents of course wow. are looking at the sites wow. so I, I was like if you leave you ain't killing yourself great let's do that so there was this, she screamed at me. She's like, you have to give me kids. You have to get me married. You, you have to marry me. And I said, um, I said, well, this is romantic. <laughs> Which sent her off screaming even more. Yeah, but no, idea. she never, well, she, she, thre like, she threatened to leave three or four times. But my answer was just like, go, like, please, let's, let's, let's see you off. Um, it only ended when she finally came to couples therapy and we found a guy in dublin who's actually a very famous couples therapist who's a south african and we did one session one session and he gave her feedback that she did not like and he contacted me privately and he never said um she's sick but Experience to this. It's okay. I have tissue, tissue, tissues on hand, kids. 
he he said um he basically called me and said listen you you know what you have to do you know what you have to do and uh you know what you have to do for yourself and then I moved because it was very kind. Yeah. Because he, he didn't he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to he didn't have to make that effort. And so he he I said, Do you want me to come in? Do you want to do I'll do a session with you? And he said, No, we can just have this phone call. And yeah. uh, he gave me he gave me some advice, he gave me some encouragement. And uh he basically said, what you're afraid of her doing, she's never, ever going to do. She's never going to do that. Um, she's used that as a form of, he, he didn't use these words. Uh, it, it basically implied it was a form of manipulation and terrorism against the parents and against me. And that when they found the evidence, it was because she wanted them to find that evidence and she wanted me to know about it. So he very, very kindly reached out to me privately and then advised me and how step by step uh, how to break up with her and and the words to say and that's how i got out she came home uh, one day and i sat her down and i just said look this is this is what's happening and uh just said you you have you you have to leave you have to leave this is this is over and this is over permanently this is I never want to hear from you again. I'm very grateful to the South African chap and to the Irish yeah. chap. They, they helped me a lot. Yeah. That's amazing. So, did you feel like you were trauma bonded? Oh, no, I was trauma bonded. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely trauma bonded. Um, it, it did uh, it did untold damage to me psychologically and emotionally. It took it took years to recover from. Yeah. So tell me a bit about that. Once it ended, how did you experience that trauma bond? What did it feel like? Um well there was there was pre-existing wounds from from childhood that I had not gone to therapy for, and not had any help with, um, and I tried to deal with on my own, and then all of that started coming to the surface. So, pre-existing traumatic conditions started coming to the surface. Um, I became very anxious and and very depressed um, for a while. Um, a bit lost, and I should have stayed in therapy, and I, I didn't. Um, I don't know what my reasoning was. I don't know what superego injunction was at work there, but I, I really would have benefited from just staying in therapy, and I didn't. I left the country. Um, I went went back home, and yeah, the next eighteen months were very, very, very difficult, very painful. Did she let you go, or did she try to hmm? pull you back? Oh God! How <laughs> about her just being like, "Oh, okay, that's all right. Good luck to you, Richard." So, yeah, she lived uh, where I where I'm from for a while, and she met some of my friends. And uh, what do you call them in um, Australia? Bogans, bogans, bogans. So we bogans. So uh, in New Zealand, it's Westies. In Australia, it's bogans. 
Here, yeah. where I'm from, we would say scallies. Okay. So some of, some of my friends, I went to private school, so I have like posh friends, but then I mm -hmm. worked in nightclub security and gyms for years, so I have friends who are not so posh. Um, and uh, they're not scallies, but they know scallies. We were bogans, mm -hmm. so they're, they're, not, they're not bogans, but they know bogans. So I, me and this girl, we moved, right? Bogans. It's not bogans, it's bogans. <laughs> bogans. Bogans. <laughs> bogans. Bogans. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <Yeah>, bogans. <laughs> so, so, uh, me and this girl, we would, we would see the interaction with different people and my friends. And I said to her, uh, there's a couple of my mates and they've gotten with girls who are a bit, a bit scally. Nice looking girls, but a bit scally. And when they break up with the guy, if they're upset with them, one of the things they'll do is they'll go and find another man straight away and have a baby with him. And she was like, wow, that's awful. And I said, yeah, could you imagine being a child that was the product of a gesture of revenge? And she said, no, that's terrible. What a low-class thing to do. I said, yeah. So that happened. There was four cases of it in my extended friend group, and we spoke about it a number of times. She was like, that's a terrible thing to do. Well, she got with another guy within a month and she was pregnant with him within eight weeks. Wow. And she made sure that mutual friends of ours, because uh, I blocked her everywhere. Yeah. They, okay. She made sure that it got, that it got back to me. So that was, that was her revenge, but no, she never, she never reached out to me. She never, she never would. She's very, um, <clears throat> there is narcissism there. There is that full blown MPD. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of psychopathy and her mindset and her culture is a very extreme one. And so if you are out, you're dead. You're just, you're just dead to me. Apart from me letting you know that I got pregnant with another man eight weeks after I walked out the door. Did that hurt? No. She, she, she made so many mistakes for me. No, she made so many mistakes for me. When she wanted to hurt me, um, she would often get it right. Like being persecuted all the time was hurtful. Um, but when she, when she made an effort to be like, I'm going to do something hurtful, she was usually judging it from what would hurt her. And for, for somebody to go and get pregnant or, or even get married, no, that doesn't hurt me. I'm like, you're a mother now. God bless. Like, that's great. You created life. That's bigger than any petty power play that we have in our relationship happy for you and probably if you have any chance at salvation it's through your baby and through she didn't get married but hopefully she married him eventually it's through your husband so good that's that no it doesn't i'm not like oh no that should have been my baby no not like that. I, don't, I don't i don't feel that way the amazing life we would have had <laughs> yeah exactly well the, the only thing i would say is i feel for him I feel for him because I know what he's going through. Yeah. So, did you? Yeah, if, you if, if, if you if you transgress the baby boundary for me, we're now into like I flip into a whole other level of consciousness. I'm like, okay, you created life. That's fine. Okay. Very uh, philosophical. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so a person. There. There's like there's there's there's, there's, a, there's a there's a that's a human. Like that's a person. Okay. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. What can I say? I can't even. I'm talking about who she was. I ain't talking about your mother. 
She wasn't when she had you. She was changed in some way. Even if she's still sick, nobody can be unchanged by, by having a child. Or do you think that having the child could have honestly positively changed someone like that? No, it didn't affect my mother at all. Why would it affect anybody else? I just like to think this. <laughs> I, I do I do think I do think <laughs> that anyone there's listening? latent narcissism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a child I won't change them. <laughs> the I do I do think there is there's a latent narcissism in all of us that that does seem to get ironed out um when to to a degree in in fairly healthy people uh by having children. You, you, you change, you mature. I've seen my, I've seen my friends, family members go through it because of the sheer weight of responsibility. How could it not? It impacts you, but it doesn't necessarily make you a better person. That, that's false. Yeah. <laughs> Random <laughs> question. Parents out there. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> if she loved the dog, could she treat the dog well? So she works in an area of, of science that's related to animals. And her whole public facing persona is that she's little Miss Hippie, loves the environment, loves animals, loves nature, so on and so and forth. In three and a half years, and I lived with her every day without me prompting her. She walked her own fucking 32 kilogram golden retriever twice on her own. And she walked in for 25 minutes on lead and said, that's enough. And that drove me insane. I'm a dog person. I'm a dog lover. Uh, that is a big dog. It's uh, bred for hunting. He needs two hours a day uh, and he needs it off lead. And he's got to go and talk to other dogs and he's got to go and sniff a bunch of nasty stuff and he's uh, got to play and he's got to hunt. And then he would come home. When I dealt with him, when I walked him, he would sit in the corner, he'd watch me work. He'd look at me and he'd go and do this big sigh. And I'd be like, I just did my job as a dog owner. This is done. When she walked in, he was going crazy in the house. Yeah. He'd be like playing with you, biting your feet, and you know, just being a dick because he was full of energy. So mm. no, and she didn't, but she would, she would, everything to do with appearance, like keeping him looking good. Yes. But actually giving him what he needed, she had no interest whatsoever. She yeah. transported him inhumanely in ways that I did not like, but I couldn't say anything because he wasn't my dog. She had, um, I won't go off, but like there are dog transporting services. They'll take dogs across Europe and on the marketing, they're like, your dog will be on a velvet pillow inside of a beautiful caravan stroked every five minutes. They, these fuckers, they stick them in cages. Yeah. And then they, so, so when he came to me after she organized his transport, that I, I said, I'll drive to Southern Europe and pick him up. No, that's ridiculous. He's just an animal. He's fine. He doesn't know what's happening. We're going to do it this way. He was traumatized. And I knew that he'd been left on metal because if his is a retriever and retrievers are weird with their, their claw, when their claws touch metal, like if you try and take them on an elevator, they're like, ah, I knew he'd been left on metal because he was shaking. And when I gave him water, I gave him water and he drank three full bottles of water. Wow. He'd not been watered. He'd not been walked. He'd been left in the back of a steel van for the entire 24. And then they just driven nonstop for 24 hours mm -hmm. to get back. It was so sad. I was so sad yeah. for him. 
Yeah. Um, no, she didn't. She didn't fucking love him. She couldn't. She didn't care about him beyond posting pictures of him on on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I, 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 I get saying, into a rant on that. That's okay. No, I hear a lot of people say, but they love their dog. And I think that a lot of the time they have a dog for appearances. They, they don't love anything. My arse, as we would say in Merseyside, my fucking arse. No, they don't. They love themselves yeah. and they, yeah. they're very smart. They know. Uh, but by the way, she didn't rescue him. She bought him from a breeder. And I'm like, oh, you love animals and conservation yeah. and the environment. And you bought him from a fucking puppy farm. You know, get, the, get out of here. And she did it with her narcissistic ex. And the pair of these fucking idiots, uh, they got two perfect-looking white golden retrievers together yeah. so they could post that shit on social media. No, she yeah. didn't, didn't love her dog. She loved the way the dog made her look. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's what I thought you were going to say. I need therapy for this. <laughs> a well, lot you know, of repressed I rage. I can send you some of my packages. <laughs> yeah, do that. Do that. Do, give me the angry about the way my ex treated her dog package. <laughs> so it took you a year and a half to recover. I mean, yes. Like, I'm in therapy now. I'm in, th yeah, functionally. I'm in therapy mm. now because I'm still recovering from things that happened to me. In, in, in childhood that then manifested into that adult repetition compulsion. So let's say functionally a year and a half, yeah. Yeah, okay. Did you have withdrawal symptoms? Did you feel ever like this desperate need to return? What was the recovery process like with the trauma bond? Ah, now I was trauma bonded to her when I was in a relationship. Yeah. Um, and I have had the massive withdrawal symptoms and a desire to see someone again in a different abusive relationship. And that lasted for about a year um, where I felt like I was a, a junkie uh, craving supply. Uh, but with her, she really like, um, I'm thinking the image in my mind is of an old vinyl record. And if you just scratch it too many times, it just doesn't play. Yeah. It just didn't play. It just didn't play. I was just, I was devastated for within my emotions, but did I want to see her? No, no. Mm -hmm. She'd really, she went way too far. She went way, way, way too far. Like I was, I was saying that to her during the relationship. I'm like, you're too extreme. This is just not, you know, you're saying stuff and doing stuff that no relationship would be able to recover from. This is insane. So, no, I didn't. But in a different uh, abusive relationship, yes, I did for about 12 months. Mm -hmm. Do you feel sexually addicted to her, though? Do I now? No. <laughs> did you? Do you, st do you still um, feel sexually addicted to her? <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather shag the dog. Um, you can cut that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, no, no, uh, I. Uh, none of that left. There was the sex stuff. It's such a shame for her because, oh, it's maybe overshare. Well, there's the so uh, sexually, she was very sexually incontinent, but very sexually dishonest. So she wanted okay. sex all the time, and if I did, if I did this on her arm, she would be in a frenzy. 
Like mm-hmm. I'm exaggerating, but it took very, very little for her to become because she was obsessed mm-hmm. in a sick way. Um, but she wasn't honest and she wouldn't be honest with me. She wouldn't tell me what she liked. So, you know, the game battleships where you mm-hmm. try and figure out, but you can't see, you just go, ah, gotcha. Ah, gotcha. So in three years, in the last three months, I'd actually unlocked uh, and I'd figured her out. So, uh, it was a was unfortunate because she was having a great time in the last, especially in the last month. Cause I'd really yeah. clicked. I was like, aha. And I used to ask her, I'd be like, are you into this? And she go, no, that's no, no, I, I'm not into it, but you like it. Really? So I do it for you and I like that. And I'm like, no, wow. you, no, you like this. No, 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 I don't. But she also claimed she'd never masturbated in her life. She'd never watched porn. She never had sexual fantasies. And I was like, come yeah. on, dude. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah, the, the sexual addiction to her, no. Um, but to the other girl that I said, it's, I struggled for 12 months. Yes. Because that's partly me. Like if I, if I am focused on one person mm-hmm. and my, uh, romantic physical, life is built around that person. My my uh fantasy life is also built around that person. So yeah, I can get a little stuck. Yeah, I understand. Okay. It's okay. I've learned to be a psychopathic, promiscuous, indifferent. You've learned to be like that. <laughs> I'd rather just read the book. <laughs> <laughs> How did you come to start educating publicly? Um, probably it's from childhood. So I was parentified a little bit. So I was encouraged. I wasn't seen unless I was performing. So my, my childhood was, was a lot of theatre. I was even involved in, in sales meetings for adults, which everybody thought was extremely cute and extremely clever mm-hmm. uh, on, on behalf of my father, who would take me on sales because he, he had a higher conversion rate if I was there chatting to them as well. Wow. I think that started when I was like 10 or something. Okay. So then um, when I was, it, it, just, it just sort of after that, it just came naturally to me. At university, I was teaching self-defense for free. Um, and we had like a class, we had to end up with a class of like 15 people that were regularly meeting. Um, and, and I was teaching psychology, I was teaching NLP. And then I just, I've never really stopped. But at the moment of actually getting properly into teaching people publicly was when I left the security industry at age 27. Um, a friend of mine got me to try speaking in a school, delivering like a motivational seminar. And, uh, I, liked it and I started doing it regularly and then I got very good at it and within two years of delivering these motivational talks to troubled teenagers I was actually a keynote speaker at the National Education Conference which was which was wild uh, you know the guy who created mind maps uh, he's called Tony Bazan and um, I was on the I was on the speaker list uh, behind him which was wild to me because I was like I'm a nightclub bouncer and a taxi driver. How's this happened? But, but that was when I did five years in the British education system. So there's a lot of public speaking to very hostile crowds. So I got used to sort of teaching publicly there. So you kind of segued from there into educating about narcissistic abuse. 
Uh, well, at the same time in the timeline, if we move back, when I was, I think it was 2001, I decided I wanted a piece of the online space, but I couldn't even send an email. So I started studying internet marketing. So I did, uh, I think it was 2004 or 2005, I released my first online product and I was selling it on eBay. It was eBooks, martial arts based eBooks, self defense eBooks. Then I made a DVD and that morphed by the time I was 30. That became my full time job was just teaching self defense online and selling online products. We went from like a side hustle to actually making uh, good money. And um, that went right the way through until 2012. YouTube deleted the account, uh, the self defense account. They said it was too violent. When I protested, I pointed out to them that they had scenes from movies like Saw and Hostel and Korean movies that featured people being tortured, um, and, they, and they didn't take it down. But my self-defense stuff that was to teach people how to deal with violent predators was too violent. So they, they just deleted it. Um, didn't have a lot of followers? I, I did by the standards of 2012 in the self-defense. Yeah. Yeah. About 50,000, which doesn't sound like a lot, but um, self-defense channels now will have millions. But, um, but in 2012, it was a lot. And there was only yeah. 20, maybe 15 or 20 of us online doing it. Um, and it was it was the marketing arm of, of, of a business that YouTube uh, just chopped off. They just were like, well, we're just not yeah, doing that. So um, at that time, I'd already overlapping with this period the the instructors that i was talking to it was a global brand that done really well because i was blending psychology with the physical stuff and there was like legitimate agencies and special forces units that wanted to talk to me i was talking regularly to the lead instructor of the air marshals uh, based in las vegas just a proper proper self-defense brand had grown but a lot of the instructors ex-soldiers security guys police were contacting me personally saying, Oh, your course is really good. You're in psychology, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They say, oh, I have problems with my wife. I have problems with my kids. But I would say to them, see a therapist and they wouldn't go. So these men did not want to go to therapy and talk about their feelings. They're like, no, I just need some advice and guidance from you. So I created the brands that grew out of Street Fight Secrets, the sort of the the therapy arm of Street Fight Secrets was called Spartan Life Coach. And it was to say, it's not, it's not therapy, it's life coaching. It's called Spartan because the 300 was big and men like the Spartans. Um, so uh, that's where the project actually, that's its roots. Its roots are in self-defense. Wow. That's a really interesting journey into it. Mm. So what advice would you give right now? to someone who is struggling to get out of one of these relationships. You need a nice South African man from Dublin to give you a phone call. Um, <laughs> I think probably the most realistic advice is to say, don't, don't try to do it on your own. Try to speak to a coach or a therapist who understands narcissistic abuse. Have someone in your corner. So, how, so that you don't just have the narcissist voice in your head, you have your coach or your therapist voice in your head, supporting yes. you and encouraging you and helping you. That's the probably the most realistic way of starting to get the courage and the strength together to terminate the relationship and leave. 
Richard, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. I've enjoyed it too. Thank you very much for having me on. Everyone knows who you are, but what are your social media handles? Where can people find your content? If they look for Richard Graner on Instagram, active in that uh, chaotic, depraved, decadent hellhole of narcissism that is Instagram. And yeah. I'm all over YouTube. If you put Richard Graner's YouTube, I have like five channels on YouTube to tackle okay. different topics there. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoy this series, leaving a review helps others find the podcast. For more insights and resources, you can visit ClaireAuden.com or follow me on TikTok and Instagram at ClaireAuden. Stay safe and see you again in the next episode.